Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by listeners like you who believe in the vital public service WRFA provides through its arts and education programming, as well as through our coverage of local news and public affairs. Plus, your generous support lets us provide a number of volunteer-based programs to be shared on our airwaves. Help keep community radio in Jamestown and Chautauqua County alive by making a contribution today. To make a tax-deductible donation or learn more about becoming a station underwriter, use the donate page on our website, wrfalp.com, or send a check to WRFA Radio, 116 East 3rd Street, Jamestown, New York. Or you can call 716-664-2465. You are tuned in to Arts on Fire right here on 107.9 WRFA. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, here with you. Extremely, extremely honored right now to be talking to Mr. Don McLean. We got the songwriting legend coming right up the road, performing live at the Struthers Library Theater in Warren on Saturday, November 11th, as part of his fall tour. He has, a, which if you have not seen it yet, an excellent music documentary out right now, The Day the Music Died, the story of Don McLean's American Pie, going to be inducted into the Music City Hall of Fame in Nashville on October 4th. Lots going on in the world of Don McLean, so let's get into it. Don, how you doing? I'm doing well, very well. I'm uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. I mean, like to to start off, I got to say I had the pleasure of seeing you live for the first time last year, and I thought you oh. did a you did a really good job hitting everything. I mean, this is always interesting to me. You obviously have an extensive catalog. I mean, Tapestry came out in 1970. There's decades yeah. there's decades of albums and songs to go through. I thought yeah. I thought you did a good job of like hitting everything. Is that when you're going on tour and doing a set list, does that get daunting as your career goes farther in, you have more to choose from? Is it hard to try to cover each base and figure out what you're going to play with so much to choose from? Well, thank you for that question, first of all. And secondly, um, I don't do a set list. Um, I make it up as I go along every night. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I, I Of course, you know, I, I don't know where. The only thing I know is that American Pie is going to come pretty much near the end. But everything else is up for grabs, and um, the audience uh, may not know that, but I've never done the same show twice in 50 years. Wow. Uh, my my original goal, and this was <laughs> so funny because when I did the songs on Tapestry, I sang all those songs, you know, wherever I went. And then I was going to write another album, and I was going to forget those songs on Tapestry and only do that album. Well, that album was American Pie, and I've never been able to forget those songs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, what I do is I have to really go back to the first few albums, and then I put in songs from later records uh, that I think are really good songs and that people probably would enjoy hearing. And so that's how, that's how it works. That's amazing. Yeah, that you must keep your uh, musicians that you play with on their toes to not really know what you're playing much before you go out there. They must have you guys must know like a decent amount of songs and just all right, we're going into this one. Well, I've got a, a core group that know maybe I don't know seventy five songs of mine. Wow. Let's say, and then there's an additional guitarist that we plug in, and there's any number of uh, guitarists that we use for the second guitar player because i like to get that double guitar thing going against my acoustic with bass and drums to really rock rock you know and um and you know then if i do a 
a slower song which requires instrumentation. These men are so talented that they don't get in the way and do a whole lot of stuff, you know. There's a certain time to move out and, and make your move musically, and then there's a the time to be very quiet and just do almost nothing. And they know how to do that. So, you know, that that's the difference between a professional, you know, and an amateur. <laughs> no, you have you got a you got a solid set of guys playing with you. You know, I mean, you tour, yes. you tour all around. You've been touring forever. We're very excited to have you in Warren in November. You know, going back to the early days, like when you kind of leaving from playing regionally and like hitting the road, you know, really, mm -hmm. really going out there. Like, do you remember where in the country, be it a specific city or just area of the country or whatever, that seemed to embrace you and kind of understand your music the earliest on? Like the one, you know, when you're first touring like that, was there a place you'd say you got the best reception starting out? Well, that's a very good question. Um, let me just say a few things. First of all, the album Tapestry really made me famous uh, in the underground world of uh, FM radio. That album was was played constantly all over the all over the country uh, and all over the world too. But I didn't really concern myself with going outside the country at that point. Um, but in those days, you know, the way it works for people out there who might not know is that young people in their teens, their early 20s, those are the people that embrace you uh, because you're, you're their hero. You're their guy. You're their age. And so everywhere that I went because of what I was doing, I was received enthusiastically for the most part because I was one of those guys that was seen as, you know, a, a person that uh, that particular generation. And once that generation locks on to you and your music, they stay with you your whole life. Um, they bring their grandchildren, they bring their children, they bring their you know, other people who may be younger to introduce them to your music, but they are your audience. And uh, uh, so it's very important in the beginning when you are young. And I was three or four years older than my contemporaries because I got a college degree and most of most of the guys who were very famous didn't bother with college at all. So they were they were they were rolling really good when they were 19 and 20 years old. I was sitting in a classroom until I was 22 or 23 actually yeah you kind of you bring up something there too i mean do you do you see that throughout the years like of touring like still seeing people come to the shows from back in the day like that who are now bringing their kids maybe their kids are bringing oh, yeah. their kids you see a lot of that oh definitely def oh sure oh yeah that's but, all. you know but then you see um a lot of uh women were always uh, attracted to what I did. Uh, first of all, they, they love a troubadour and they love a guitar player. And the guitar is an amazing instrument. All a man has to do is start to play one and you'll have a girlfriend, you know, <laughs> it's just like that. So, uh, you know, I was serious about this stuff, but I really wasn't into messing around. I was really into what I was doing and I wanted to be as very the very best that I could possibly be as a songwriter, a singer, an instrumentalist, and a performer. 
and I worked at that. I did vocalizing, and I played, practiced for hours every day, and I worked hard on my songs. I didn't want to... I had a, a rule, kind of, where, where my songs were concerned, because it, it was all in my own world. I wasn't going to repeat myself. So, uh, And I Love You So is not like American Pie. You know, I love the Beatles and the, and the, and the diversity of their... They would do songs that were radically different, you know, from other ones they had done. And I loved that. I, 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 that was something that I wanted to try to do, too. So, you know, American Pie is not like uh, If We Try or, or a Crossroads or anything like that. So they're all different. You know, kind of, I, I got a chance to interview you last year. And one of the last things we talked about, we didn't get into it a whole lot, but it's kind of what you're talking about there. One of the things you talked about, and it's something I've thought of while like playing guitar and singing sense talking to you, but dynamics, the thing where you really have to figure out you're controlling your voice and controlling yeah. the volume of the guitar. I mean, like yeah. with you talking about kind of honing your craft there a little bit, I mean, yeah. was that something you had to try to, you're very good at it now, but was that something, you know, when you're talking about honing that in that you had to try to figure out that balance, how to do your voice and guitar? That was my whole thing was... Um honing the tone of my singing and m melding it with the right guitar um you know it takes guitars are all so different and and you know you have to figure out what what kind of an instrument you want to play do you want to be an electric guitar player do you want to be an acoustic guitar player if so what kind of acoustic guitar do you want so on and so forth um, for me, the Martin guitars were everything from the very beginning. So I had that decision made for me. And a D28 was the guitar I wanted, a dreadnought size. So for the most part, except in the early part of my career, I used a Triple O 28, a uh, very old guitar. It was from 1929, actually. And I was pretty well known for that instrument. But then I moved to you know, the larger body, uh, D28 Martins. And so then you've got to find the one that's the right one, you know, that rings properly, that has the right vibrato, that has the right tone for your voice. And, you know, that's that's something that you you develop as you get to be a better musician. You know, you when you're young, you play anything. You know, you're just so happy to have, anything to play you know because we had no money and couldn't afford an expensive instrument so anybody i used to get i used to get guitars and banjos out of the kids that i knew they would have them in their in their attics that their grandparents had and they didn't have any place for them so they ended up in the attic and i i had a whole parcel of instruments in my house uh which i was fooling with that i would get from kids who had them in in their attics and uh, <laughs> So I love that, you know, getting to know the different different types of instruments that they were to to, to play and sing with. No, that that is uh that is very very cool. And again, I think you've done a great job, obviously, over the years of dynamics and learning all that. But I do, you know, we got a couple more minutes here with you, and sure. I wanna I wanna mm -hmm. bring up, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you put out a great music documentary fairly recently, the day the music died, the story of Don McLean's American Pie. I was I wanted to ask. I mean, I'm sure you have talked about that song so much over the years, you've dissected it so much. But when you were when you were uh, you know getting interviewed for that, putting things together, I mean, was there anything? 
something you'd kind of forgotten about, whether it be the recording process or writing American Pie that like even you, you know, you talk about it, I'm, I'm sure so much. But when you're doing something like that, did anything come up that you kind of forgot about over the years? So many things you have no idea. Really? I'm unbelievable how much, how many things you think you remember that you find you misremembered or that you were wrong about. Um, but one thing I do want to say before I get into answering your question is that I, I have been asked about this song repeatedly for years and years. And one person interviewing me said he was impressed with the way that I was always willing to give, you know, a, a serious answer to a question I had obviously heard a hundred times, if not a thousand. And the reason that is, is that I, I respect the fact that this individual, whoever he may be interviewing me has never had a chance to speak to me before. And so that is something that's probably, he's been thinking about for years. He would love to ask me. And so he, he asks me and I don't like to, to belittle, um, people that interview me even if you know they they are asking me something i've been asked a lot i, I have seen pe people who add are supercilious and 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 act in a uh, condescending way uh, and it's not pretty and i don't like it so that's why i do that and and yet i don't shy away from the questions because i know that it's very important for people in terms of who i am and what my profile is so anyway getting back to the movie um I realized that it took me 10 years to write this song. I realized that. I never knew that before. Uh, at one point, um, you know, the story started and, uh, you know, I'm talking about the death of my father and then it, right after Buddy Holly's death, which I saw as a paper boy. It's the only job I ever had was as a paper boy in 1959. I guess I was 13 or something. Um, February 59, I would have been 14 in October, so I was 13 years old. I was crazy about Buddy Holly and that sound and those records, and um, it was all there was in my head, you know, along with lots of other music, too, but it, it, he was something, and then when I saw that he had, had died, I mean, I was, it was one of the first moments when childhood bliss was shattered, it shattered that that bliss of a home life and you know boundaries where the the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you maybe you're going to get yelled at or something you know mm. but this was this was radically it just shattered me in a certain way and then more events occurred afterwards my father died which completely wrecked our home and then kennedy was assassinated and it wrecked the country so I was really in the same mode as the whole country, in a sense, uh, in this grieving process that I was privately going through. I wasn't talking to anybody about this. I don't, I don't talk to people about stuff like this. But this was going on, and I was fascinated. As the years went by, I was always looking for information about Buddy Holly and trying to find more out about what happened. Because back in 1960, you could not find out anything about anything. You know, there was there was no way to find out anything. I had to go to New York City and go to the microfilm at the uh, at the New York Public Library and look up the day in the New York Times and what it, what they wrote about that day on on February third, nineteen fifty nine. That's that's how 
devoted I was to this. And um, as the years rolled by, I, I met more people and I, and I was going through the college experience and everything. And then I worked with, started, uh, I got into Columbia Graduate School for business, which is very hard to do in 1967, I guess. And in 68, I got out of college. But I knew by this time, because I had lived a dual life, I was singing at night and remembering and working with people that I had met in the early 60s when I when I quit school the first time. And then by the time 68 rolled around, I had a, a network of places I would play. And I knew and now I knew Pete Seeger, who was one of my uh, dream artists that I wanted to get to know. And um, he and I became friends, which was also a wonderful thing for me. And so I began wanting to sing with him on the Hudson. And, and so I just left a few of his castles in the air. That's my story. You know, I left behind the cocktail generation and I went, uh, and I always loved the hills and the mountains and the lakes and, and, and getting away from cities. Uh, there's, uh, I'm going to give you a, a quote that I love. Um, one, it goes like this. Um, the trail is poetry. The road is prose. The highway is mathematics. I'm a trail guy, you know, I, I, I'm a trail guy. And in a way I found my way through the wilderness and suddenly popped out in 1971 with this massive record and this hit, but I'd been in the wilderness for years, working my way through to that moment when everyone in the world suddenly fell in love with this album and with me and with this song and other songs on the album. So, um, I realized these things. And then the thing about the filmmaker, Mark Mormon, uh, who was hired by the producer, a name named uh, Sidney um, Spencer Proffer, is that he found film footage. When I talked about Newport in 1969, there I was singing in 1969. It was mind-blowing. You know, he found all this stuff. And what he couldn't find, he pretty effectively recreated so, you know, I realized that song took 10 years and we were working on this thing for two years. And um, finally, I said, you know, you guys have done a great job, but you've missed the point completely. And the point is that we got to sit down. I have to talk about these lyrics now because that's what people are going to want to hear about. That's what I've been asked about all these years. So I sat down with my guitar in my living room in Maine and I said, I went through over every single word of the song and, and, explain sometimes i throw something in that was nonsense and sometimes i would say something that nobody ever got or understood and sometimes you know they get it right sometimes they get it wrong and and you know just go over it like that so it was a very uh, interesting experience making that movie and now i don't have to answer questions about the song i just say well go look at the movie and you'll <laughs> find out all you need to know <laughs> Yeah, it is perfect. Just point him to that. It's like, hey, if you want to know, there's like a 90 minutes of it right here for you to go into. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, th- and I got to know all about it. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I got to say that archival footage was amazing. It was insane to see yeah. all of that stuff. I got to, I got to say that was so cool as a fan to see the behind the scenes. I, I tears came to my eyes, man. I, I thought to myself, my God, I've been going in the same direction for so long, you know. <laughs> 
Could you, uh, you know, could you see obviously American Pie being so culturally? I mean, that that's such a big song. But any other songs of yours come to mind that you think would be fun to kind of break down the way you did like that? Like the Legend of Andrew McCrew comes to mind to me. Are there any of your songs you would say kind of would work in a in a way to kind of deconstruct? Oh, you could the talk same? about you could talk about the other songs, but you see, the interesting thing is the way uh, my mind works in a certain way, and. Uh, it's it's different from I, I I don't mean to sound egotistical, but um, I don't write songs like other people do. All my music is extremely personal, but it's also got a format. There's a concept that I have. There's it's like I am an inventor, and also there's a movie in my head that I see. So the whole thing. If you look at American Pie, for example, that everybody talks about, the, the the lyric style is unique to that song. The music is unique to that song. The concept is unique to that song. No other song has ever been written like it. So the fact that I was lucky enough to have that take hold and become a number one record meant that it would always be invincible because no one even begins to understand how I did what I did. Only I know how I do what I do. And I don't, and I'm not sure about that even, <laughs> you know, but you take a song like there. Okay. Well, now I'm going to write a song like, uh, I heard when I was a little boy on the radio, a pop song. So I wrote, and I love you. So I knew what I was trying to do. That's a totally different animal. All right. Completely different. And, you know, so this is, and yet there's a, a, a vision in my head. The Andrew McCrew a song, um, again, was from a, uh, was during the time that Nixon was uh, being uh, under fire and eventually he would uh, resign. Um, and this story of a, of a legless hobo and he was always talking about don't cut the legs off the presidency. Uh, you know, I, I, for some reason, it just sort of resonated with me as somehow part of America, you know, that here we had a... The hobo was a very interesting thing because it was a black man who had been homeless, I guess, or a hobo, and he'd been killed by a train, and, and, and then he was uh, embalmed and put in a tuxedo and taken around as an oddity, one of the many lovely things that were done to humiliate black people. And my friend Lee Hayes was from Arkansas. You know, I told him all about this song I was writing. And he paused for a moment. And it's just in the 1930s when they were doing this. And he said, I saw that hobo. <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of people I was always around. I was There was always a direct connection somehow <laughs> to something I was doing. So I saw it. And because he saw lynchings and things like that, oh, which you did, you did see in those days down south, it was not uncommon. So uh, anyway, that that's that song, you know. But uh, anyway, it's just how I do things. And it, so if it's if, if for Vincent, for example, a whole different thing, you know. It's it's basically a lyric biographical effort in with the colors and 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 
energy of this Starry Night painting. That painting taught, told me what to, to say. And I just listen and I do what I'm told. I, I'm very good at um, getting... Uh, I'm not that smart, but I have a lot of good instincts about everything. People, where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. Um, I, I'm very, very lucky that way. You know, I'm very instinctive. Don, uh, it is... I always love, uh, you know... Great talking to you. It's fun dissecting music with you, talking about songwriting. Again, lots going on. We got you performing up in Warren on Saturday, November 11th. You're being inducted into the Music City Hall of or Walk of Fame in Nashville, October 4th. You got the documentary, all that out. Anything else to uh, tell, yes. tell people or anything oh, else yeah. going on? Well, let me, let me tell you folks out there, if you go on Amazon, you can buy now the DVD of The Day the Music Died uh, documentary that you're referring to. You can have that for your very own. That's on Amazon. You can also buy or see a documentary that we did with the BBC about the making of the album. Um, and there's also the children's book that I put out, Don uh, American Pie, A Fable. And there is a new... There's a really, really good Christmas album called uh, Christmas Memories Remixed and Remastered. These are songs that I have previously recorded, but they were, I never liked the mixes. And I, in some cases, I didn't like uh, the bass part on, on these records. We, we got a very swinging and upright bass and a much, much better mix on these songs. And I think that people, if they like this kind of music, are going to put this album at the top of their list because it's it's really the way those Christmas albums should be should sound. And so I think that uh, if people like that kind of music, uh, it's Christmas memories remixed and remastered. And there will be another sixteen albums of mine coming out, which you'll be able to get on Amazon <laughs> that are being released uh, with a deal that I made recently um that produced this christmas uh record oh very nice lots of yeah you're not slowing down lots in the world of don mclean to uh, go check out it sounds like yes and it's going to be more and more all the time <laughs> well don i mean again total uh total honor talking to you i am anthony merchant talking to don mclean right here on arts on fire